we can, but we'll just see how we feel. So here we go. Hey everyone, welcome to Sorting Myself Out. I'm Ryan Holsapple, live here with the wonderful Tim Freak. Thank you so much for being with me. It's a pleasure always. We had such an awesome discussion in December, I couldn't get enough, so we had to schedule another one. And even between the time of our last discussion and this one, we had some off-the-air time where we had some emails going back and forth and just some real questions about what is being, what is consciousness. And where I got hung up was in the whole notion that, well, perhaps consciousness is just being, essentially, just the, the, the life energy. And I got tripped up a bit because I'm looking at Carl Jung's anima, which is the life principle, which is life itself, essentially, in some sense, although it also gets conflated with the world as image of images, as you rightly point out. So I've just been sitting with this for a while, and I've been loving wrestling with your thoughts, which, which really um, bring consciousness up to this more advanced level. So I think that's a good place to start, uh, if, if that's all right with you. What does that generate for you? Uh, well, this is where my, a lot of my attention is right now, Ryan, so, um, because it's a shift for me. So um, I think the essential shift for me has been from the, the, the I don't want to say standard, but quite common perspective in the spiritual traditions that I've been hanging out with and write about is that there's a that consciousness is like a, a ground of existence. Mm -hmm. Everything is in a great mind. It's what's in in philosophy. It's called idealism, but really should probably be called idearism for the modern ear, because idealism sounds like it's to do with having high ideals. This is actually to do with the fact that everything is an idea in consciousness, and that's a kind of so the ground then becomes consciousness. And I've wrestled with that idea and tr and and used it a lot. Um, because it's the foundation of of a mythos which says this is God's dream and yes. we're waking up within it, all yes. of which on a mythological level works really well for me. And as someone who teaches awakening, I've been able to really focus that analogy in a way that I think can shift people experientially. So that's been great. However, metaphysically, I've always struggled with it because the story that I want to tell that that, that resonates for me is an evolving story through which the ground has become conscious of itself it, or it's become conscious and then eventually conscious of itself. So mm -hmm. that means you need to start with something which is unconscious because it becomes conscious. So then you get a real, like in my early books, you get this, I get really like it's consciousness, but it's in an unconscious state or it's mm -hmm. awareness. Let's give it another name. People mm -hmm. do that too and put it in an unconscious state and then it becomes conscious. And what's happened to me really recently is I've gone, this is, this is just not good enough. Let's, this is the wrong word. And the reason it's the wrong word is because if you're going to take something as the ground of existence, I feel like you want to be very parsimonious. You want the simplest thing you can possibly put at the beginning mm. if you have an evolutionary story, which I do. Mm. So what is it that's evolving? Well, the thing that's evolving and which is emergent and building on itself needs to be the simplest thing. But consciousness isn't the simplest thing. You know, I'm, I'm not always conscious, for instance. I, sometimes I'm conscious, sometimes I'm not. I'm taking in the world consciously and unconsciously. So this is a, this is a rarefied thing. And in the evolutionary 
scale of emergence, it looks like a, quite a late thing, actually. Mm. So the place I've ended up is to go, what's the simplest thing? And when I, when I look at my experience, which is what I've got to work with, I go, well, what's the one thing everything's got in common? Even the empty space exists. So I'm studying existence. It's kind of a tautology. I'm looking at what exists and what, what can I say about it? Well, it all exists in different ways. So many, maybe that ancient term, which has been used by philosophers for a very long time, is a really good one to put at the bottom, which is being. Yeah. So then you can go, okay, so what, and what I'm always looking for is like, how, what's the simplest description from which we can start? So how about this? There is something formless and therefore changeless and therefore timeless, which is, in, which is being, exists, but that's all you can say about it, which is in a process of becoming. And that's mm -hmm. an evolutionary process. It's change. It's time. It's the ev evolution of form. And through that evolution of form, of information, it becomes more and more objectively and subjectively rich. Mm -hmm. including Differ then becoming uh, conscious and the beautiful thing about it is it's it's differentiating while at the same time individuating to to borrow your word it's it's making itself more complex diverging off into separate paths and then you know just like the the cell swallowing the mitochondria there's something that a way in which things tend to turn back in on themselves am i getting that right from your perspective yeah so they they form greater unities yeah so the whole differentiates to become greater wholes. Yes, and that's really important too. And I think of that psychologically because in my work with people, I really encourage them to explore the various subpersonalities within themselves. I actually get really honed in on one specific way of being, like really drill into it. And the consequence is that when you come back to the big view of the whole thing, the, the bird's eye view, there's actually more of a cohesion that happens as a result of that attentiveness to detail uh, psychologically. So, for example, uh, a mode of being could be spiritual seeking. I mean, I look at that as a, an evolutionary phenomenon in the universe, an interest in awakening. Uh, just really drilling down into that as a mode of being and then testing that against other modes of being that perhaps you might consider as more ancient or more primordial, uh, aggression, jealousy, sexual desire. I mean, all these different modes that we contend with, to me, we have to bring consciousness to each of them so that we can, you know, go into that individuation process in the, in the grand scheme of things. So I think of it from that sense, and I think Carl Jung really did a great job with looking at alchemy as a way of conceptualizing these unifying principles you know the taking the prima materia and experimenting with it and creating the the, the unity of all the subparts so that's where i feel like i really focus in what i like what you're going at is even bigger picture we're talking not just psychology but the, the entire universe itself is in this process it, it's pretty pretty amazing. exactly and and you st that's what I'm I'm st that's what I'm looking for to start with is is like well what's the overall picture and then we can specify it which you've just done beautifully in psychology and what I love with Carl Jung and, and with alchemy and with his use of alchemy is that in my picture the reason that there is evolution 
is in the nature of time. So, so being is becoming, is becoming these different qualities, and that's every quality is really a piece of information, mm. a quanta of information, and that the information is becoming richer. And the reason it's becoming richer is because this, because of the past doesn't go anywhere. It accumulates. We've got to stop thinking of the past as an arrow or as a, as a, as a spatial dimension. Yes. I think it's something quite else. It's actually the very fabric of becoming. It's right. what becoming is. And so there's more and more of it. And this moment in, in holds within it everything that's been before yeah. and implicitly. It, and, and that seems so obvious and yet isn't really taken on. In, well, and, and in, we even could say that specifically genetically. I mean, we could say it about a lot of things, but I'd like to well, bring in genetics because the, the gene it, is a genetic, memory. What, what, what we do with genetics like what we do in memory and things like that is, is we kind of, we're looking for, Oh, there's information stored here. Right. Now I'm saying something much bigger than that. Uh -huh. I'm saying there's not bits of information like leftovers stored in the present, like, like archeological remains stuck inside the body. It's mm -hmm. more than that. Actually the past, the, 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 the nature of the moment is that it is the past mm. the past that this moment and this moment must include within it. It's just so obvious to me now. I, look, this moment here must include within it everything that's happened before. It must. Right. There's never a moment that doesn't. And if this moment must include the last moment, then the last moment must include the moment before and back and back and back and back forever. Right. So all of the past is here. Now, why that applies to the alchemy in it and is that, therefore, the thing which is running this moment, the immense intelligence that the whole universe has, is the past. Mm. That's the algorithms that function as the law of nature or the habits of your soul yeah. or your, your psyche. All of that is unconscious. So if, you, if the universe, through us, through us as individuals, wants to transmute that, to use the alchemical term, if you mm. want to change that, whether that means in psychology you want to stop a destructive habit or you want to transcend something, you need to transform the past. Or if you want to fly, say, if you're a human being and you're thinking a few hundred years ago, wouldn't it be great if we could fly? Then what you have to do is bring consciousness to how the mechanics of nature work and then work with them, work with the past, the way that things have arisen in such a way that you can fly. And what do you know? You can. Mm -hmm. And you can go, the impossible can happen. You can fly to the moon. And the same, I think, with the psychology is that we can look back into ourselves and go, Tim seems to be this habit but could he transmute himself? So that that's all still there, but it's now this. Right. And that, I think, is the great work of the soul doctors like Carl Jung. Yes, and, and we don't ultimately reject any part of ourself. We, we simply incorporate it into a new way of being. The, and the key thing with that, Ryan, I think, is not that there's some moral injunction to do that. Right. It's that we must. Right. Because it's not going to go away. Exactly. Yeah, you're not going to... Well, and that's one of my major complaints about uh, New Age thinking, is the idea that there is any such thing as perfect um, from the way that they, they put it out. Uh, you could be a perfect... Have you ever met a perfect person, Tim? Because I have <laughs> I mean, I haven't. I know that you have been around longer than me, but I've never met a perfect person. No, I haven't either. And, and, and why do they push... Why do people push the idea of perfection and in, enlightenment almost becomes this word that means uh, you don't have you're not a human anymore uh, and it we does. we use these gurus these uh, symbols from christianity and eastern tradition to to 
put these expectations out. But I would, if I was working with someone for their personal development, I wouldn't use a model of perfection. I mean, it just seems unreasonable to me and unrealistic. And even if there was maybe three people in the world who have attained this perfection or currently have it, it's not going to happen for everyone. And I don't believe that it exists. Well, it would be nice to know what it meant first. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> right. Perfection. What does that mean? And in what respect? Because anything you're measuring has got to be a certain quality. Um, so you know, you can get better and better at things. Lionel Messi is very good at kicking a ball. He's not perfect. Yes, he's, but he's very good. And you can measure. I'm not as good. You know, it's like that's clear. So in that sense, he's more perfect than me. But it's not perfect. It's never. There's always. There's always more. The thing that gets. The thing that gets me in in my area where I work around awakening is the idea that you're already perfect and i hear this a lot like you know look ryan you're already perfect you've just forgotten right and if you can just remember and it's very alluring and i think this this is why it's alluring because everyone struggles everyone knows they're not perfect everyone's in an evolutionary process which is both beautiful and incredibly difficult so if someone comes along and goes, you're already perfect, all you need to do is remember, and then you'll be out of time, you'll be out of struggle, all suffering will go. Mm-hmm. Who's not going to want some of that? The, the problem with it is it's an abdication of the human journey, and it's a very high price to play, and of course it doesn't work. Yes. So what I think we need to get is there is a part of us for all of it. I mean, this is, it becomes complicated for me because this is another subject really, but I do... I, I, I feel we have um, the soul, the part of us that is non-material that we're thinking with right now. Mm-hmm. I do think that it survives the death of the body. And I do think it comes back into another relationship with the body. See, that's um, the, that, I'll, I'll just pause you right there and let you keep going. This wonderful book, everyone's soul story that uh, I really enjoyed reading. Fantastic book, Tim. Really well written. I, I encourage everyone to go out and get it. That's the one part that I can't, I, I mean, I was up with you throughout the whole book, and then when you said the, we come back into the reincarnation, I don't have any idea how to prove that one way or the other. How do okay, we so know that we don't float around and you know become an energy field out in space somewhere? How do you know? How can we really say that a soul comes back down and revisits another body in any capacity? Mm-hmm. So I think I think okay. So this is I've, I've launched into a different subject there, but yeah. So so what? So the reason that, that I'm just to tie up the loose ends with the perfect is, I, is that in my experience, which I'm tr- is what I'm trying to understand, there is a part of Tim that is um, much wiser. You know, there's, just as there's a part of me which is, can get into all sorts of grooves that I don't want to get in, mm-hmm. um, and then there's the, my day-to-day Tim, and then there's other parts of Tim, which is when he turns up are, are phenomenally wise and surprisingly so. Mm. And there's a kind of a voice. I experienced it recently when I had a big God experience, which is my voice, but speaks with him. And, and I choose the word, the voice actually taken from Carl Jung. It's what he called it, the voice. And it's, it's what we used to call the conscience, the with knowledge. Yes. And it speaks from a very deep place and it's very wise. So there's a part of Tim, which has already been one with God, it seems to me. But yes. that's an, it's still evolutionary. It's not perfect. It hasn't arrived. Right. It's just the aspect. You know, there's a part of me that's been in many, many deep awake states over and over and over again. So that when I become, when well, that's always in me, it hasn't gone. Even when I'm at my most tired or my most narrow or pissed off with my whatever's, my family, 
that's still there. Mm-hmm. I'm just not focused on it. And the, so there are parts of us which are more perfect or more awake or more loving. And I think that's all for real. Uh, and I do think we have a profound encounter with that in death um, and that we, we come back. So what does, well, the word, the comeback, there you go. I fell into it myself. We've got to get rid of these analogies. The reason that reincarnation has got such a bad press, well, the whole idea of surviving death at the moment is, um, has got a, is in the intellectual mainstream has, seems like it's woo-woo. And that's yeah. been the case for a few decades. Um, before that, for thousands and thousands of years, it was the mainstream. So, but I do understand why it's changed, and it's changed because of the success of physics and, and so forth. Your question, so, so I think we need to re-understand re that. So for me, what I'm looking for is the obvious. So when I talk about the soul, I'm not talking about some spooky thing, which we don't know what it is. I'm talking about the actual experience you're having right now of the psyche. That's yes. the soul. Yeah. That's the same. You know, with this, I'm completely in tune with Carl Jung. And that that's a whole domain. And that, that for me, that's a domain which has arisen through the evolutionary process and is now established in its own right. So mm-hmm. we can talk about what I call the cosmos and the imaginos, and we're in both. And I, one I'm experiencing as a realm of sensation, yes. and of matter, and one's transmaterial. It's made of images. It's, it's connected through meaning, not through cause and effect. Mm-hmm. And these two now coexist. So the question of death becomes when, the, when that experience of the body, of sensation, when that stops because the body dissipates, mm-hmm. does the experience of the imagination stop? And the, I think there is incredibly strong evidence, actually. Uh, I mean, not enough to convince an ardent skeptic, of course, but there, there is good evidence, let me say that, 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 it, that it doesn't stop. And I'm referring to the fact that we have hundreds of thousands of near-death experiences, let alone the literature throughout history, mm-hmm. which strongly seem to suggest that's not the case. If you add to that what the experiences with psychedelics, mystical states, yes. out of body, all the stuff that, that's been documented, yeah. and it, it very, at the very least, it needs to be taken seriously. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then, for me personally, it's my own experience of being around death. It's like, I'm, you know, for me, it's not an issue. I understand that for other reasonable people, it is an issue, and I respect that. That's a different thing again. Then you it then what, if you make the jump and you go, okay, let's imagine now that the spiritual traditions throughout history have, have been right, because I think all of them basically go, the death of the body is not the end of the soul. So if that's right, and that once you've established yourself in this non-physical domain, you exist there as um, imaginal information rather than biological information. Once you've, if that's the case, then what happens after that? Do you you're just there forever? Does that evolve? How does it evolve? Right. What's the relationship? All those questions. And, and a very common answer to that question, usually explained in mythological language, is that, you, that, that, that it's not the end of the relationship with the physical and biological realms, that these are always in relationship, and that you can sustain this imaginal state for a bit, but that it will come back into connection with less emergent levels of evolution. And that what we can see, the idea of well, well, pause, we, Just pause for a second. How do you, how do you make that jump? 
how do you make which jump? That that it'll come back to less less emergent body. Why do I think it does? Yeah. How do you how do you get there? Uh, how does it? Or you say how? Does how do you happen? get there in your thinking? That from okay, I'm with you, Tim. I'm with you. Energy can never really go anywhere. The way I look at it, so you know, even if you look at a tree, it decomposes. It goes back. The energy doesn't go anywhere. It's it just. It doesn't die. The energy dissipates into different, but it doesn't leave the universe. So I would say the same principle would apply to the this thing you're calling the imaginos or imagos. Is that imaginos? I don't care how you say um, it. Really. It's just the idea of, of a realm of images. I would I would say that seems equally viable that the, the energy of the psyche would live on in some sense. But where the making a for me making a claim about where it would go? That's where I'm struggling to see how you get from okay it's going it's not going away it's not dying it's going it's either staying around or going somewhere but then to say i know where it goes to me i don't have i don't know where we get where we draw those conclusions out sure sure okay so first of all i don't know where anything goes okay got so it. everything which i'm doing is an it's an exploration of possibilities which do or do not make sense to me in my experience and with resonance with others so in terms of like is reincarnation a reality? But the, the problem with reincarnation is that probably there's more bullshit spoken around it. I mean, I live, I've lived most of my life in spiritual circles, and the amount of nonsense that gets said is just unbelievable. So that really clouds, in fact, spirituality is like that generally. The deep truths which are in there are so clouded by pre-rational and you know, mythological is a positive way of saying it, pre you know, just like... Mm. Just not very well thought through. So that's a real issue when you're dealing with this idea. Even the idea of reincarnation is like coming back into a body. There's no coming into bodies, I don't think, involved okay. in this. Okay. I think what we've got here is information. And when you say that, you know, energy, I mean, I'm not sure if energy is even the right word there. I think it's information. And information now exists on a non-material level. And that's very clear because there's a diff there's an there's a difference of informational content to the sounds my mouth is making and the ideas which your psyche is uh, apprehending. Mm. These are different types of information. You could take the sound waves and you'd never find the ideas within, within that. It's a different yes. level of information. Right. And that information isn't going anywhere. It exists. And it's what you are now. So my suspicion is that what's happened in the evolutionary process is that as that level of this new imaginal realm has developed, they were originally linked with the, with the biological body, and then they've slowly been able to separate off. Right. And they're, they're still in connection, but now when this goes, this can survive. Now, my intuition is that, it is that that's, that can, you know, it's not alive in the sense that the body's alive, mm. but there's a flow of experience happening. Mm. And that that is able to do that for a bit. And it's able to do it for a bit precisely because it's reliant on this foundation. But this foundation from which it's arising in the evolution process, because there's only one universe. It's not like the, this, the imaginos is suddenly this new thing. It's like, it's a, it's, well, it is a new thing, but it's arising from the totality. It is linked to the totality. And if you like, a bit like if you jump in the air, you will eventually come down to the earth. Oh, I see. Have a little while while you're in the air the soul can jump into the imaginos and actually go quite deep into it because it's not held down by the weight of the of the material world, as it were, the passivity of the material world. But it will come back to earth because it's one thing. It's not. It's not. 
Mm. It's not a separate thing. Now, it may be, I don't know, it may be like the spiritual traditions say, you can reach a point where that doesn't happen. I don't know. But the, but the possibility that it does, I think, deserves to be taken seriously. So my account in Soul Story really is to go, if we took it seriously, how could we understand that? And I think the key is the idea of seeing that the universe is evolving information. And once you go, there's information on a transmaterial level that can come it back into a relationship with, uh, with information on a biological level. And I suspect that's exactly what's happening right now. That, mm. that that's that's already happened for both of us mm. and that the, the the and that the body my body here is actually in a sense a separate entity from me it's just we're in a psychosymbiotic relationship and it has its own agendas it has its own ideas i have to look after it i have to do things for it and it and it sometimes has it takes me off in other directions completely and it 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 it, it, it it's a different level of emergence with which i co-inhabit and then it enables me and supports me in going off into doing all of this stuff, which I'm doing with you. Yeah, um, yeah, it's fascinating, Tim. It's uh, I'm, I'm just going to keep thinking and thinking and meditating on all this because I'm really struggling. One of the, with one of the it. things, maybe just say this last thing. One of the things for me with Soul Story was quite consciously to say, is it possible to take the essence of the esoteric traditions? in the West, but actually worldwide. And is it possible to take those insights, which I've lived with and found powerful, and create a narrative in which they sit alongside the insights of modern physics and biology? Mm. So in a way, I've just, I've taken those and gone, look, is there a narrative which can hold these together rather than how can I prove the existence of reincarnation or anything like that? The people to go for for that are the people who are actually doing the research into the number of people who, kids especially, lots of kids, who claim to have past life memories and things like that. So that that's where the info, that's the place where you would go for, right? Um, for for some sort of evidential base. My, what I'm looking at is not an evidential base. What I'm looking at is if we take this seriously if we take the narrative that this that it has let that the pro well the the spiritual narrative is that the soul is evolving and it evolves through this process of life and death life and death life and death is that process if it's if that's for real and let's imagine for a moment it is how would that process link with the other process of evolution which has created the universe so we can see the evolution of the physical universe, the natural selection cycle, which has evolved species, and then from that, the life and death cycle, which has evolved souls. Mm. Is that one process of evolution? Could we see it like that? And would that help us stop dismissing this as woo-woo and seeing it as one overall narrative? Yeah, it's, it's beautiful. I went to the Nature and Science Museum the other day, and it took us from four, four billion years, the beginning of the Earth, to the first human-like apes. And it was amazing to watch the process of differentiation happening. And I get, I get the sense, and my mentor, Dr. Strauchan, often talks about this, that the universe is creative. It's, it, it tries new things. I mean, dinosaurs, you know. Uh, to me, there's a feeling of, we don't know what the heck's going to happen next, really. 
I mean, what what what's the next thing that, that's going to emerge? What's the next experiment? Uh, are we are we uh, a long term project or are we a little you know blip like the dinosaurs are? And that it was just such a fascinating meditation to walk through the the history of the Earth and, and to see it all. Well, let, let me try this out on the the run. This is this is a new thought for me. Sure, brand, brand new, a few weeks old. I have this. You'll know from Soul Story what I'm. You know what I'm saying is even more far out than we've discussed so far. Because what I'm actually saying is, look, when the universe evolved into the imaginos when this non-material level of information evolved in effect the universe became a story that the universe had evolved into a level of emergence which is story it's a narrative it's it, it, it's to do with meaning mm. and we live in so we live in a, a world which is mechanical biological and narrative and they all coexist and they're all affecting each other now Science cuts it off after biology. In fact, it wants to reduce biology to physics. Mm -hmm. But I'm saying, no, it's, it, that's the, reductionism is the enemy. You can't reduce the greater to the lesser. That's the whole thing. Mm. The greater is greater than the component parts. And as we've moved up, we've come to this place of narrative. So my guess is that uh, the evolutionary process is, is itself evolving and that that evolution of narrative starts as soon as that world of imag uh, uh, images arises, and I, and I think it's way pre-human, I think it starts playing a role in the evolutionary process so that there's a kind of an intentionality so that we can see that the reason that, 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 that so many people seem to be saying, look, Darwinian uh, evolution's not quite adequate enough, I think is because it's the 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 natural selection bit is really strong you know which is basically the idea that something can only survive if it fits in if it fits in it can reproduce it'll carry on mm. if it can't then it won't that seems fair enough but the generation of the new possibilities is what you're talking about that it's creative yes and then it's what does creative mean there and i suspect that creativity is evolving so if you go back to the evolution of the physical universe it's probably random or, it's, or it may be playing out p patterns from past universes, for like the way that my body, as it's grown, has played out patterns from past bodies. So maybe yes, yeah. doing that. But it's, but it's fundamentally more of a random process. Once it gets to the point where there's narrative, it's, there's an intentionality. So if something is, be is beginning, in this, the very beginning of cognition is beginning to go, I want to get to those leaves up there I can't reach there is a probability that what will come next is something which has got a longer neck because it wants to reach up to those leaves that it can't reach. Sure. So there's actually an engagement between the psyche and the evolutionary process. As the psyche emerges, so it starts affecting the narrative of the evolutionary process. And then the thought I just wanted to throw in just because I like it at the moment, it fascinates me and I, I just, it's just interesting is that the one thought that all life will start to develop, it's the agenda of all life forms, is don't die. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. That's the, you know, it's like you reproduce, yes, but don't die. Right. <laughs> That's the right. fundamental thing, because as long as you don't die, you, you can do stuff. Right. So that if there's a fundamental intentionality that develops in the narrative world of don't die alongside the evolution of the psyche uh, in advanced forms of life, then perhaps the evolution of the immortality of the soul 
is a product of that narrative. Yes. That actually existence has found a way not to die. And it's done that now. And as we arrive at this place, you know, we're, we're, we're in that. We've, we've arrived at a place. And there's a sequence of events which allows us to do that. And, that, and what my stuff about transmigration, reincarnation, is maybe that's the sequence of events. Mm. So the process for natural selection and is, is that living and dying, living and dying. And then the process for the evolution of the soul becomes uh, reincarnation. Yes. Yeah. The cycle of transmigration. Fascinating. I, I want to bring it back to the body for just a minute here. The divide here between psyche and body. Um, f- from where I'm standing, what it looks like to me is that our actions and our behavioral patterns, ways of being, are given energy. They're given soul. They're giving consciousness. And they're given it through a very specific vessel of potentiality. So, so within each body, there are various potentialities for manifestation. Part of that's genetic. Part of that's brain development. Part of that's life circumstance. There's just there is potentiality, and there is limitation. Those things both exist within each body. Uh, for I, I use the example of Elon Musk. This guy was born with a great brain. Uh, so the specific potentiality for psyche to manifest itself through, for life to come through. Uh, so the one, the one uh, concern I have when we start separating body and psyche is to me, in the psychological department, it's so important that people understand their bodies and they understand how they're manifesting in their lives. They understand what their aptitudes and proclivities are because those aptitudes and proclivities are real and they, they have... Uh, they have a vessel, they have a texture, they have a context in which they operate within. And if we bypass that, which to me is almost like a bit of a spiritual bypass, and I'm not accusing you of this, but that's where my mind goes as far as concerns. If we bypass that, there can be a danger of leaving behind something that's very important to integrate in our personal development. Uh, this, this sense of who am I? How how does my body, my brain play into this existence that I'm having as a human? Not not just as a soul, but as a human being that is in a very interesting predicament of navigating a physical world. So that that's the only area where I there, there's there's a level of well, Tim, let's don't go too far that direction. Like I almost worry, like don't go too far out there because then we forget of this important place that we're in. Yeah, look, I don't, I, I'm, I'm completely in love with embodiment, and I think it's incredibly important. So I, I agree with all of that, okay, and I perfect. think your reaction is not a surprise to me, because we, at the moment we live in a, we, the place where we're at culturally is such that the idea of the soul being independent in some sense of the body is seen as a dualistic you know, return to Descartes or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. Actually, what's happening and what Descartes was doing is simply describing everyone's actual experience. Mm. And everyone, including both of us right now, is actually experiencing two completely different realms of reality. That's our experience. So there is a duality which is just there, and then we have theories to explain it. Now, the modern theory is it's a byproduct of the that what's real is the brain and the rest is a byproduct of that. I don't think that begins to account for any of the phenomena which anyone who's taken any serious it discounts interest in it. psyche it, has it, done. It, it discounts it. 
It's just, it's just it doesn't doesn't begin to. And what you see, you know, you're, certainly when you look at Jung's work, for instance, as, as the, he's, he's in this conversation, you know, there is an immensity to the his understanding of the psyche as individual and collective, which cannot be begun to be accounted for in that way. So the choice isn't between these extremes. And what I'm, what I'm suggesting is that there's one thing evolving and it's gone through these different levels and it has a, a relative independence. Mm. And the, that whilst it's in a symbiotic relationship, that it, it moves as one thing. Um, but that when that relationship ends, it can survive and enter into another symbiotic relationship. That's the nature of the Society. soul. Right. But Tim, but Tim, you know, Tim doesn't reincarnate. Right. Because your brain is just unique. It's not going to, it's never going to happen again. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, look, the brain is a hugely important thing. Fabulous to understand it. But I don't think we should become fixated with the brain as uh, identical with, with the psyche. I don't think that at all, but I think it's very important. I think it's very So the important. brain is, the body, like you said, it's a limitation. You know, my body's a limitation. I've got a bad elbow at the moment. I can't lift weights. Yes. I was, you know, I've been doing weights and I can't do it now because of my bad elbow. Hopefully that will get better. So there's, there's limitations. But, but possibilities as well. You, I mean, you, you've, written, you've written, what, over 30 books, 35 books. I mean, uh, your body helped you with that immensely. It certainly did. All yeah, those fingers yeah. tapping away. Right. Um, and it's helping me now because I can talk and connect with right, you and it's exactly. a cool thing. I mean, so, you know, I think I, yeah, no, no, I, I just want to be clear. I don't, I don't think that we should reduce psyche to brain, but rather in a gestalt sense, I just believe the brain is one part of the whole to be aware of. Uh, same absolutely. with genetics, same with every, you know, it's yeah. all part of the equation. That's why I really like your thinking, the emergentism. It's very important that we get the global picture and we understand that there's these working parts and that to me, the, the individuation is to explore the working parts as I shared earlier and, and then go back up to the hole and see how everything's going. Yeah. Cause, cause let me just pick up on that th thing I was going to share with you a minute ago. It feels important, which is to go, look, the, this Tim is the unique combination of this soul and body at this place in yes. this time with these parents with this relationships with this and that will end it that's started, what you meant earlier by end. tim's not gonna yeah but this process that is my is the soul is my psyche will always incorporate him you know when i had a profound experience for myself after my mum died of, of meeting up with my mum six mm. months after she died it was something far bigger than my 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 mother but it was also my mother. She was, that was in it. Mm. It was in this bigger thing. And it was very particular and sweet. And there was no loss of that. But it wasn't, but mum had ended. She'd lived and she died. That was over. That, that story was done. But that story was in a bigger story. Mm. And, and I think that's always been the ancient, the esoteric teaching. And I think it's actually, it's actually very profound. Very, very profound. And, and very redeeming. Um, you know, a lot for me, is about redemption is about the ability to see the goodness in existence and um, now obviously there's always a danger of wishful thinking of just got going for something because it sounds good i don't want to do that but mm. i do think that the deeper i go into what this is when i touch the deepest states when i have the experiences of god you know and have the experience of this huge being of love there is a feeling like everything's there is a goodness which is which is which is coming out of this, and I think that the understanding of 
death is 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 mm. vital to that. And and I think the fact that we've lost it, it apart, with the, what we've got at the moment is particularly dangerous, which is why it's a kind of a soul crisis. I think we've got in the intellectual mainstream on the cutting edge of evolution, we've lost the understanding of the soul and its nature. Oh, I know. It's reduced, just amazing. We've reduced huh? it to the body. Yes. Which means the only people carrying it are the pre-rational religions. Right. So we've got it's we've got this outdated retrogressive version of soul, which is the only place which is really in any numbers keeping it alive. Mm. And what we need, therefore, is to re reestablish that. We need to in a way that transcends and includes the modern scientific understanding. Yes. So that can come back in as something which someone with intelligence and and question and thoughtfulness can go yeah no i i i do th i think that's perfectly possible or that fits my experience yes yes yeah and that brings me that whole area that you just went into brings me to this whole idea of accessing soul accessing deeper awakenings higher awakenings whatever you want to call them uh, as someone who's in depth psychology, there's something about deeper that I like. The word deeper, deep is we're nice, so isn't we're it? so obsessed yeah. with higher. Uh, yeah, it's deep nice to nice. come back to deeper, and uh, that's why I like the title of your book, Deep Awake. It's like yes, deep awake. Why you know we've been so obsessed with high awake for so long. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but okay, I'm gonna try this on you. First of all, if, I think it's important for a lot of our listeners to understand. Why would you even do something like meditate? Why would you why would you do these practices of awakening? Because I think to the western psyche there's a f there's both an element of attraction to it, like you can see in the new age movement how much we've utilized the practices of the east. But there's also a repellence to it. There's a rejection of it because we haven't developed, there has been Western mysticism and things like that, but the East has, in my estimation, has been really responsible for, and shamanism, but really responsible for this awake state. Are you with me so far? And it, did I? Yeah, I mean, I, th I think it, 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 it's probably more prevalent in the, in the West than, than you're saying, but I do think in terms, of our, in terms of our present perception of it, that is true. Okay. Yeah, but you think it's been more—it's been there more it, than it, we thought. It has. It's just that that that, that thread has been so underground. Yes, that, um, like the Gnostics and the there's a lot of yeah, there's the, a lot the of traditions. You know, yeah. the, the the alchemists, yes. all of those. Guys. It's always been there, but it hasn't been the primary. I mean, no. the experience of being has always been primary in the East. In my, in the way I read it, I mean, you look at the history of Hinduism, and it's been all about developing this sense of deep consciousness being awakening and of course don't run of course when you're actually there in the east or when you look at the history of these it's not actually like that it's actually a lot of lost people trying to survive right it's not like they're all enlightened beings no, walking there's a, and, and even when you get close to those they're all embedded in a culture and and you know guru cults survive just like religious cults over here and you know it's it's not it's it's not quite as clear as as that i don't think but yeah but, but nevertheless 
I don't interrupt because I think what you're on is... Well, I think what my point is, and thanks for reeling it back if I'm over-exaggerating, but I think what my point is is that there has been a tendency philosophically in at the pinnacle of these Eastern traditions to develop a sense of being. And in the West, oh, yeah. there has been at the pinnacle of these Western traditions to develop an ethic of acting in the world and a moral code. Two, two, oh, yeah. two different lines of development is basically what I'm trying yeah. to say. No, neither of them are perfect. Neither of them are black and white. And obviously, I'm you know gonna throw the baby out with the bathwater if I over exaggerate here. Okay, so we've got that. Now we are, as human beings, at post enlightenment thinking in the in the modern era. There's postmodernism. There's rationalism. There's some people who are still operating within old religious systems. There's new age. And then, um, you know, rationalism would go with atheism. And now we have people even like Sam Harris, who considers himself an atheist, but is teaching meditation. So there's a weird way in which worlds are converging a little bit. Uh, but I would just like to hear what are your thoughts. Why, why would we develop a sense of consciousness or deep awake? Tell us a little bit, maybe if, if you don't mind, about what's important about it. Oh, it's an interesting question because of the way you set it up. I know, I set it up in an interesting way. You did, <laughs> you did. I've got to meet that challenge because that's so interesting. Well, the first thing that comes to my mind is meditating today, which uh, I was doing I don't know, a couple of hours ago. And what that, why I do that. And it's such a joy to enter a different... For me, consciousness is paying attention. That's what it is. It's paying attention. And uh, I'm receiving information in the physical and imaginal realms all the time. And most of it's unconscious. And that which I focus my consciousness on, my attention on, um, becomes raised up into this conscious state. And I, and I experience it consciously and there's... Well, there's lots to be said about that. So what happens when I go into meditation is that I calm down. I stop paying attention to all the things I normally pay attention to. So I withdraw my attention from the senses, usually. Often I'll do that by first focusing on one of the senses. Mm. So I'll, I'll focus on a really simple sense, like breathing is my favorite. So normally my attention is all over the place, moving to different things, thinking, doing, doing, and then it's just just breathing. So it's right in the body, and then the body becomes this, oh, that's great. How did I miss that? There's a real joy of being embodied in the state of breathing. And then I've got my attention, and I can sink my attention then into the psyche. Um, and if you're doing a meditation like Carl Jung used to do, and creative visualizations, and you can explore that sort of meditation. But the meditations I tend to do, is to, is to then take my attention back onto the simplest thing of all, which is my sense of being, not being this or that, but just simply being. Mm -hmm. And in that experience, there's a huge, it's just completely different to any other experience. Yes. And it gives all a, a different perception later when I return my attention. It's quite different. It's very much like you said, actually. Let me use your own analogy. That'll help. When you said about, you know, you take a sub part of you and then you go right into it and then you come back out and you see it all differently. Yes. It's like if you take your deepest being, that sense of I exist, and you sink into that, 
and there's this oceanic sense of kind of like emptiness but it's full with everything mm. it's this presence it's the being which is becoming everything mm-hmm. it's the place where i am the same as you and everything else and the deeper i go into it the more that's obvious and it, there's such a profound shift of experience yes that it totally changes that the way that i am when i come back and and, and in itself it's not, i don't do it for when i come back though i do it for itself because it's yeah. um an amazing thing to step into that's and the more a- you do it the more you get to know it the deeper you go and so i've now been doing it for 50 years or something and uh and so i kind of know it pretty well i know i don't intimately actually to be honest (laughs) with you ryan a whole new level has just been opening up over the last six months and that's been really exciting because that hasn't happened for a while yeah it just keeps it's like anything you pay attention to it you find out more about it you know i i love the way you explain that I always have, when I'm in a deep meditation and, you know, I like how you emphasize that there are various different ways to meditate. But when I'm in a deep sense of accessing that being that you're talking about, I'm just paying attention to the sense of being that I have. It's just bringing awareness, bringing attention to the present. What does it feel? Even right now in this moment, I can feel this sense of moving my hands. And it's it's such a fine nuance of awareness that it's it's like if you've never experienced before once you get it it's like you can finally breathe almost i remember one of of the ways of getting it which i quite like which works for some people is it's being conscious of being conscious yeah i like that say more about that 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 normally you're conscious of something you're conscious of yes but if you withdraw your attention onto itself you're conscious that you are conscious so you're conscious of your being that is conscious Mm mm-hmm um, and that's that's a, that's a very interesting shift. So I think what's what's been happening in the evolutionary process is we've as consciousness has evolved, it's evolved from sentience, where we're conscious of the world, various waves, light waves, sound waves, um, touch, and then we've developed the psyche, and now we've got images from the world, and we're conscious of those. So that means we're conscious of story. We can project the future. We mm. can remember consciously remember the past. We can we use that to transform who we are and so forth, and use that to create images of the world we'd like to be, and then see if we can enact them. All those things. And then from that, we've learned to pay con- to become conscious that we are conscious. Mm. And at first, that can when people start, often that's really quite difficult they don't know what that means and there's a lot of i deal with a lot of people who are going i, I don't know I, I try and meditate but i don't know what it is and it's because it's far simpler than you think it's and, and it and it does take a while but sometimes sometimes it just happens but uh, the more you the more it just happens and then you find it again like you said then there's this deep reservoir of peace within you that's that you where i find my happen. sense of choice and will and Ooh. for me it's like, I remember when I, I used to struggle with drugs and alcohol when I was 17, 16, 15, I started drinking when I was 12 and I got sent away to treatment and I was just immersed in anger, rebellion, you know, fuck you, dad, fuck you, society, like, you know, screw the man, I'm going to go my own way. Nobody gets to tell me what to do. And I was just a resentful kid. I mean, I was just really um, upset. And I was at this treatment facility, this uh, therapeutic facility in 
uh, Arizona for 14 months in the middle of nowhere in the desert. 14 months? Yeah, it was basically like uh, the guy, the guy, one of the guys who worked there had been to, to prison and jail. He's like, yeah, this place is pretty much like county jail. You have, you've got an iPod after a couple months and you can play basketball and, you know, you, you don't have any other real freedom here. Um, and I was like, wow, really? It's like county. He's like, yeah, pretty much. I was like, that puts it in perspective. So I was there for a long time, very disciplined environment. And I was just, I was throwing fits. I was, I was just a really tough kid to be around. People didn't want to be around me. I didn't want to be around myself. I was just miserable. And uh, eventually, you know, they say in 12-step programs, I got sick and tired of being sick and tired. I got sick of being around myself. And I found meditation. I read The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. I read uh, Dealing with Anger. I think it was called Just Anger by Thich Nhat Hanh. Uh, I read you know, books by Pima Chodron, I, you know, Choi Gyam Trungpa, I really started reading, and I started meditating three, four times a day, what else did I have in, in my free time, it's not like I had a phone or uh, the, the typical things that teenagers were going out and doing, so I got addicted to meditating, and I remember my first moment of pure consciousness, I was walking, and I had just been on a roll meditating, and I saw it a tree out on in the distance and it was like the the tree just it's just the only moment that that tree could ever exist is how it felt it was just so pure it was like i was having an encounter with something deeply profound and deeply touching and it lasted about 30 seconds but it felt like forever it was just this timeless moment of peace and tranquility and then i remember the I had no thoughts. I mean, I've never had a time like, like that where there, I mean, I've had similar experiences, but it was just pure. I didn't have a thought pop in my head um, until one thought that said, how long is this going to last? <laughs> and then it was over. <laughs> but from that moment on, I realized I never have to be an angry asshole again. Be because... I always could see that I had consciousness and that I had a choice, even if it was hard. And that was like, that changed my whole life. I've been sober for 10 years. It's just, it's that's, amazing. That's a great story, Ryan. What an inspiring, what an inspiring life story. That's just beautiful. Yeah. Isn't that Thanks. great? Yeah. So let's take so that right back. Let's tie that back to the beginning of the conversation. Sure. When you said being and consciousness and all that stuff, and I, and I came in and went, yeah, yeah, I'm trying to develop this simple way of understanding. Where, where what's the one quality that everything has? Is being. And because everything has it, it, even empty space, it has no form. It just is. Yeah. The, the, the Zen people call it the isness. Mm. It just is. And I think what happens was that when you, so when you put your attention on your being, you're paying attention actually to the being. Yeah. And so when you then go out for a walk and you see a tree, you see it is also being. Mm. So now it's not just a tree or a tree which is separate from you or even an amazing biological entity. All of those things it is, but we also it's also you. Yeah. Because it's also the one being. The one being has arisen as tree and as Ryan is now connecting with itself in these two utterly different qualities. Mm. And when you do that, it's numinous. You're just like, wow. That's, that's what I mean by an individual who's become a univigil, an mm. individual conscious of unity. 
That's is so that cool. you're, you're, you're aware there's one being arising as everything right and that we're all that and so is the tree and so are the stars and 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 you when you see from that perspective you are still individual and that but the and the individuality is beautiful mm. but you're also not at yes. the same time there's one thing arising as many things to you it's like waves on the sea to use the classic analogy from 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 hindu literature yes i love that and then of course there were times after that where i was an angry asshole i had these these moments where i regressed into the old self but it was just like i always came back to that sense of presence and being that you're talking about and that, that and that's that the was passivity. amazing that's the passivity what i call the past is that once you is this vision of look the past is accumulating yeah so all of that is you so including that experience, including the angry asshole, everything's there in you. And, and, and the whole universe is a habit or an algorithm. It's right. a repetitive habit. Right. But it's repetitive, and but it repeats in a new way. So it's also creative. Yeah. And so you, you and I. So those old strands will come back. It's like when I do a big retreat and everyone like opens up. We just did yeah. one at New Year. Massive love. And then it, it's like, oh, am I going to lose this? And well... The old everything you've ever been is there, so don't be surprised when it comes back. Yeah, and that's don't really, it. That's a really grounded way to teach, and and, and just be prepared. Yes, yeah. So, so you know, it's not it's not like when the old Tim comes back. It's not like, oh no, I failed again. He's back. You know, it's like no, of course. It's a bit like the analogy that comes to mind for me is the seasons. Mm. It's like we're in winter. And it's like I'm not here going. Oh, I thought it was going to be summer, but now winter's come back again. Right. It's like I understand things come back, right. but I could be prepared for winter, and then winter's okay. And wow. in myself, it's like these things will come back, but the more, but the also the good things. So once you've had that insight, that's also always there. Yes, so exactly. Now when, yeah. now when the arsehole turns up, you can go. Oh yeah, but there's that other place in me that I can find. And then we just strengthen it through repetition. And then it gets stronger, and the other gets weaker. More experience. It's our soul, more awake, yeah. and that's how we mature. And I wish somebody would have told me that after my first awakening experience because I did think like, oh, this is this supposed to be the new me now. And so then I would the, the, the crashes were really difficult when I felt really upset or had a tough time or, you know, I, I didn't have a framework. It's so important that we are taught a framework for transformation that is sustainable. That's another critique I have for New Age teaching. When you write a book or when you give someone advice and tell them, you know, go get your unlimited potential and you could be anything, and then you, you have no framework for mistakes, no framework for how to deal with a relapse, no framework for uh, other feelings that are human that we're always going to have to contend with. That it's, 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 it reminds me of the myth of Icarus, who flies too close to the sun and he gets burned. Uh, to me, that analogy, uh, it comes crashing to the earth. That analogy is what I see in the, the shadow of the self-help industry, is um, huge aspirations, huge dreams, big, bigger, better, faster, stronger. The bigger you are, the more enlightened you are, the better and then what gets left behind is this precious sense of human, just being human with all sorts of different emotions and feelings. And I had a great thing, um, you know, when previously when we talked around, we talked about uh, Jordan Peterson. Mm -hmm. And I had a great moment just for me personally. I, was, I, was, I came across something a while back from Jordan. I was thinking, the thing that I like about Jordan, the place where he really touches me, 
is um, when he is when he deals with that. Is when he deals with this human when he shows his own human frailty, mm -hmm. and also when he's he enters into look, life is hard. Yes, you know, like you know, like you know, <laughs> this is not easy, and you know, so forth. And I thought I really like that. And then of course you mentioned deep awake and i thought oh i like that because that's what i tried to write about at the end of deep awake yeah. that was exactly the same thing was this sense of the awakening is for real and life is tough and they sit side by side and if you live in a if it becomes part of the i guess the commercial world is probably the best description in which everyone has to promise more and shout louder then there will be a tendency for the most popular things to be the ones that shout the loudest and promise the most and lose that sense of reality and yes. i think your critique is incredibly deep and mature and 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 spot on i really 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 do thanks Tim. i'm glad we're i'm glad we're on the same page and, and i'm in the same boat you know it's like yeah. when i was you know i think i hope things are better for your generation i hope things have moved on but i mean i had no idea so for me i, I you know when i came out of these deep states i, I yeah crashed that Right. Like, oh, I've lost it, and will it come back? And then it will come back by chance. And I, for for most of my most of my early life, it just seemed like it just happened. Oh my no, god! No idea when it would happen, but it just happened. Oh my god! That that reminds me, Tim. Like, oh, years ago, I went on a uh, a vision quest. You know, like a vision fast, where you sit on the land yep. for four days, four nights. I did. I think I did three days and three nights myself. And I had uh, this deep experience. I came home and I watched pornography and I just couldn't, I couldn't reconcile myself. I was like, I thought I was this new person and look at me, I watched, and it was just like a tragedy. I couldn't handle it. Um, and you know, a young kid, you know, 20 years old or whatever I was, uh, I, I have so much compassion now looking back at that kid who's beating himself up for, for doing that. But it was just so, it felt so harmful. It felt, it hurt, it guilt and it just felt like, I must be the worst person if I can't sustain this new growth. I, I think the biggest change that's happened for me over my lifetime is that I am so much more tolerant of Tim. Oh, that's awesome. I, 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 I'm not totally tolerant of him. Um, <laughs> but And that's a good thing, you know, because there's aspects which should not be tolerated. Right. But, um, but over, even those aspects are held within a kind of compassion. And, and I had an experience, you know, I can't remember if we talked about it last time, but I had an experience in November being just immersed in, in what I can only call God. It was like this, this amazing, beautiful light presence, mm. you know, nothing but. And then as, when I came out of it, the level of compassion I felt from it to Tim and then from my own deep self to, to Tim mm. was just, it was like seeing as God sees. And it was so benign. And so it was, it's this meta acceptance. It was, it's like, there's a place which it's even that there are things which are not acceptable in, in the universe, in my view, and we should change, but there's a place where you still accept them in order to change them. Yeah. There's a meta acceptance. Carl Rogers, a clinician from the 1960s said, the funny thing is when I accept myself just the way I am, then I can change. Yeah, that's, a, I mean, that's a great line. Isn't it? That's, that's a beautiful statement of paralogical thinking. Absolutely. It's Perfect. amazing. What, and absolutely right. Yes, I think that that's something that and, is and underrated. And the problem we get often is that we think what, what I call monologically, either or, and we don't see those relationships. So, so then you think, I can't accept it because then I'll, I won't change. Yes. Or 
how could I accept this? It's so awful, whether it's in yourself or in the world. Yes. How can I accept these awful things that are happening in the world? Well, it, but you don't see, oh, there's a place where I can go, not, it, it needs a different word, really, where you go, it is what it is, and I embrace that because it is the way it is. The level of becoming is this. Mm. This is what it is right now. And then from that can come this new creativity, to use your word. Yes. Where you change it. Exactly. And you, I love that. I feel, I feel like um, since our last conversation, I feel like a lot of these subjects that, that I was struggling with just in this conversation are starting to ease into a cohesion for me. So I really like just, it feels like a real sense of unity and individuation as, to use your beautiful term. Um, but what I want to do here for the last few minutes, if you're okay with it, I want to talk about Ram Das. Oh, um, and I know he was dear to you as well as to me. And I saw you posted with him and a beautiful picture with, with you and Ram Das. And, for those who don't know Ram Dash, uh, formerly Richard Alpert, Harvard, Harvard professor, uh, he got fired for experimenting with psychedelics too uh, passionately with Timothy Leary. And he went to India and had these amazing awakenings. And he was just an incredible spiritual teacher. And I'll tell you why I think he was incredible. Vulnerable. He always told on himself. He told on himself when he felt like a fraud. He shared his deepest vulnerabilities and sensitivities and insecurities on stage in front of his thousands and thousands of followers. Brilliant. It just, just such a, f a friend, a soul friend on this path of spirituality. Never condescending, uh, transparent, and um, helped me get in touch with my sense of humanness, my human heart. And he's one of those spiritual teachers that I feel like didn't push people too hard towards perfection. I feel like he really got the humanness and he, he, to him, humanness was a teacher. And I saw your post about him and I just want to, I want to tribute to him as well. I've listened to him for hundreds of hours uh, in my early twenties. And uh, he was very important to my sense of soul development. And, and Tim, I just want to give you the opportunity to say anything that you want to. Oh, so beautifully put. Yeah, he was huge for me in my 20s. Uh -huh. um, and um, he was kind of at his peak, I guess, then, and um, taught me all exactly the same things and, and showed me also what I wanted to do with my life, which at the time I'm, I wasn't ready to hear yeah. because it was, seemed too much. But nevertheless, he did. I got to go on retreat with him. I went on retreat with him for my honeymoon in my first marriage. Needless to say, my first wife left me. Oh, wow. Because <laughs> wow. I shouldn't have taken, I should not have <laughs> taken her on a retreat. That was really crazy, stupid. He chose my, you know, it's like, oh, dear. Um, but uh, it was lovely and oh, amazing. Wow. And and then later in, in my, then I, in my 30s, when I was, a, uh, no, late 20s, early 30s, I was a musician. And we were creating uh, shamanic rave shows, consciousness raising mm. shows. And I did a, a, a dance track with Ram Dass, uh -huh. and, uh, which I've just posted on YouTube. I saw because that. I, I'd, nev I'd never posted it before. And uh, that was great. So I went to see Ram Dass to ask his permission, you know, check out what we we're going to do and discuss it with him. So cool. And, and I can remember the insight I got then. I've never shared this, but it was like, it was kind of deep, actually. It was I was with a Polish girl then, and we both turned up and saw him 
and he and he, I just I just thought he's flirting with her, and then I thought, hang on, he's flirting with me. Oh, he's flirting with everyone. <laughs> <laughs> he's oh, flirting yeah. with the whole of life, isn't he? Oh, and that's I, beautiful. And I really liked that. He was like, mm, he was just like, he was just. Like yes. and and I and I think you know when I do my retreats, I'm I'm a bit like that. Right. I'm kind of flirting with everyone, and right. it's a lovely. There's a lovely intimacy and human warmth and connection which he gave. Yeah, and, and then I got to have dinner with him in Maui years and oh, years wow. later. Which is, which How was, was that? Real, real good, fantastic. I mean, he was he had his stroke then. Yes, so he wasn't and talking quite was as speaking, fluently. Oh my god, because he was so fast and so funny and so sharp. Right. Um, and he retained all of that, but just in slow motion. Yes, I, I thought it was, you know, such an ironic thing to happen to him because his his gift was he had this amazing ability to speak, and yeah. then that gets taken away. And then he even he even shared, well, I guess this is just my my new lesson is is to to deal with not having that. And the thing the thing for me, I guess, the real center of it with Ramdas for me was it's all about love. Yeah, I am loving and awareness. By the time I'd that. come to, to Ram Dass, I already knew that. Mm-hmm. And then here was somebody saying it. And the big thing that he was doing at that time was service. So I was involved with a different teacher where it was all about um, personal awakening or you know personal experience. And suddenly it was like it was getting it was not enough for me. And then mm. there was this other guy who wasn't special. He wasn't enlightened. He wasn't, he was, you know, he was following someone he thought was, ironically, but he himself was just so human. And he was saying it's about love and service. And that was what I needed to hear. And, oh, wow. and the book, How Can I Help, that he, he wrote was a Bible for me, for what I in, <sighs> engaged with when I was, you know, he inspired me to work with the dying. That came from Ram Dass. Really? Um, yeah. So yeah, huge for yeah, So does, good, yeah. and I feel also, Ryan. It feels like, look, you know, my dear friend Peter Gandhi, who I wrote with, who's very naughty. Um, you know, I told him I said, "Oh, Ramdas is dead," and he was like, "Oh God, that's really that's yeah, that's such a shame. He did so much." And then he gave me this naughty look and went, "Hey, but the rest of you all move up one." <laughs> and uh, and and what he's saying there is deep, actually, because what he's saying is. That generation have gone. The generation who were really the generation before me, Alan Watts, yeah, Woodless Huxley, or Ram Dass, Tim Leary, all of these people, yeah, they're gone. Now I'm the old people. Yeah, I'm now. I'm the age. I'm a little slightly old. No, probably about the age when I was your age, almost identical, actually. <laughs> To the age when you know you were me and I was you know I was Ram Dass. You know, it's like and and in terms of age. And then it feels like, okay, well, then, you know, what happens is they, they take it on. He developed, he brought all of that Eastern stuff. He, yes. he, he did all he did. He showed us his humanity and he threw me the ball and said, run with it. Right. And then, you know, and that's going to happen to you. So you know, cool. the, the, there will come a time. It's where an be, honor. Oh, yeah, Tim Freak. I had conversations with him and yeah, he's gone now, of course. But, you know, but now I've got the ball. And there will be a time when you're sitting with some way of communicating we can't possibly imagine. Right. Uh, with with somebody who's now your age going, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that's, I'm so pleased to see you coming through because that means that there's going to be more wisdom. Oh, that's such a cool, that's such a cool perspective. I love that. Yeah. Well, yay for Ram Dass and yay for Tim Freak for, for carrying it forward. And um, do you have any retreats or any uh, things coming up that you'd like to announce? Uh, I, I'm just about to announce a retreat in the UK. 
Nice. Um, at this, I mean, if anyone can come, I, mean, I don't know where people listening to this will be all over the world. I all over the world, yeah. We're, yeah, I mean, we've got a stately home, Ryan. Oh, God, I wish you could come. When I mean, is it? It's literally a stately home. Oh, Four cool. poster beds, wow. a billiard table the size of my kitchen. You know, it's, oh, that, wow. it's huge. And we get to hold the retreat in the grounds. We've, there's a state-of-the-art spa facility with everything you can possibly imagine just built. Mm million pounds worth we get to use that for four days we get to to be really chilled together and then just go deep into this philosophy and this profound connection which leads to this deep awake recognition and god we did i've done one there already it was just fabulous oh my god that's so <laughs> and cool it's, and crazy i mean crazy that we can be there but it the guy who owns it his family have owned it for a thousand years wow and he's woken up wow and he wants it to be used for this because he's woken up and he's an amazing man. Amazing man. That's amazing. When is it? It's in May. In May? And also Japan. I'm also doing one in Japan. Okay. So, uh, uh, Japan's the end of April, and this is the beginning of May. And the information is beginning to get posted on my website, timfreak.com. Uh, it's not there. It will be there. All the details will be there very soon. Yeah. Holland. And Holland in March. Holland? Uh, Fantastic. And I'm, and, but the main thing I'm doing now, Ryan, is I'm is with my organization, the ICU, the International Community of Individuals. Yes. Is, is online. The, I've got a whole thing where we're meeting up just about every week yeah. to do experiential stuff or philosophical stuff. Oh, so and cool. And that's something which people can do anywhere without leaving their homes. So it's great. Yeah. So I've got a link to your website in the description. And I recommend if people go to it, they can find information about all these things. Obviously, the retreats are going to be posted. Uh, the new ones will be posted soon. But the the ICU stuff and all that that's is all, all there. You yeah. know, and it's and it's all done on a donations basis. Great. Because I want this to be accessible to everyone. And I'm aware that, you know, I mean, the, the, you know, really what should be happening is old people should be paying more and young people should be paying less. And then right. they just, you know, and then that reverses. Right. And, uh, and that's, but whatever, people can contribute whatever they want because the biggest thing i want is it not to be about buying because that's when everything everyone has to shout louder than everyone else i don't want to sell this mm. i want to share this mm. and i want what and i want people who want to engage with it to give something back so that it can continue to be shared yeah so that there's an interchange there's an you know it's like it's like when i speak to you it's just i want to do it yeah because why wouldn't you Yes, uh, and that's the and I think we need a new model because I think the commercialization of the whole thing is it's nothing wrong with it and people need to live, mm-hmm. but somehow we need to find a way through where we can we can keep the integrity of the of the gift that we're giving to each other. Ah, oh, that's so sweet. That's awesome, Tim. Um, well, I really recommend again everybody to go to the website and check it all out. And uh, man, this conversation is the best conversation I've had in a long time. So uh, thank you for for giving me the pleasure of, of having it. It's been a real delight, as always, Ryan. All right, Tim. Have a wonderful uh, evening, because I know it's evening your time. See you later, everybody. Sorry we didn't get to your comments. Thanks again, Tim, for coming on.